Hello, everyone. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we discuss the challenges faced by Black and underfunded entrepreneurs, particularly women, in the U.S. and globally to access funding to grow or scale innovative ideas and to demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. This season, I've been doubling down on conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access to funding for founders who've been traditionally underrepresented in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Following my series of conversations with angel investors, future females invest based in Mauritius, I'm turning my attention to Citrine Angels, located here in my backyard in Washington, DC. In a previous episode, I spoke with two CA members, Latarsha Jones and Aurelia Flores, about who is the who is Citrine Angel, what it does, how it does it, benefits of membership. And now I am turning my attention to speak with Lisa Friedlander and Stephanie Marshall, founding members of Citrine Angels, to focus on Citrine Angels growth strategy and partnerships to expand access to financing for more women founders. Lisa is an attorney, entrepreneur, angel investor, and committee chair of Citrine Angels. And Stephanie Marshall is the founder of M3 Advisors, managing director of Sprocket, angel investor, and board president of Citrine Angels. Lisa and Stephanie, welcome to the WTF podcast. Hey, we're glad to be here. Thrilled to be here, Michelle. Wonderful. So in my previous episode, I talked to two of your colleagues and we got a lay of the land, why Citrine Angels um, was established, what it does, funding for women, by women. So now I want to talk a little bit more about what are some of the things that you're doing to expand access to additional funding for women? So I think it's very clear. The research and the data says that women are a good bet, right? Yes, they are. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm still a bit puzzled as to why there is still this funding inequity in the ecosystem for women. So a recent Boston Consulting Group survey study found that for every dollar of investment raised, um, female-run startups generate 78 cents in revenue, whereas male-run startups generate a fraction of that. And the data is consistent across other reports by First Round Capital and the Kaufman Report Fellows. So I asked this question of the two of you, considering that you're angel investors, you're, you've created an angel investment group by women to support women, why do you think we're still having this problem? Oh, so many reasons. <laughs> million dollar questions, right? <laughs> Stephanie, yeah. want to take it first? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think, you know, one, I, part of it is, is education. Um, and that's one of our goals is really to educate women on how to write checks, right? How do we get more women checks, writing checks so that more women are funded? Um, and part of that also is not just talking to each other, right? Where there's a lot of women's groups where we're all like kind of in the same room going, oh my gosh, this is a problem. Why, why aren't they listening to us? Um, and, and what we did is, is, you know, we've had conversations and we continue to have conversations with other angel groups, um, not just those that are gender focused or, or race focused or whatever, um, but to, to help educate on why we do what we do. And, and one of those partners, um, is uh, Blue Ventures, and you know, we we took all the data that you just cited and said this is why we think women are or diverse teams are a better bet, right? A good bet, 
And so we want them to make more bets in those spaces. And so I think it is a little bit about awareness. It's about having allies. Um, and, you know, in some ways, maybe it's a little bit doing things differently. What does doing things differently look like? I mean, I guess one of the things we say, right, we, we purposefully set out to keep our membership dues very low, right? Like a lot of angel groups have it at, you know, 1500, 2000, they have minimum check sizes of, you know, 25,000 a year. And we said, we're not going to do that. We want to be very, very inclusive. We want to be open. We want to get more people understanding and engaging in this investment class. For this asset class. And so we came in with a low membership rate of, of $8.95. Um, we do not have a minimum investment. We do make recommendations to our members to you know, be ready to write that $5,000 check. You know, maybe the next time you write, it'll be 10. And maybe the next time it'll be 25. But five is fine, right? Place a couple of bets, do it, and just learn as you're going. And, um, you know, I think that, that that is how we do things differently. Yeah. Or one of the ways. <laughs> Lisa, do you have anything to add to Stephanie's response? Yeah, I mean, I echo obviously everything that Stephanie has said. And, you know, that was really our double sided mission right from the get go, right? It wasn't that we're going to focus primarily on investing in women and we don't care what our membership looks like. And, you know, we're solely primarily focused. We are really doubly focused on both, on both the investment side, as well as cultivate, creating and cultivating more female investors. And that was just one example of what Stephanie said um, in terms of the low membership dues. And the second example of not having large minimums or not having a minimum at all, um, very purposeful right from the beginning. Um, you know, the good news is the ACA, the Angel Capital Association, just released their annual report for 2020. Um, and unlike on the VC side, there was actually some really fantastic news um, from women receiving angel angel money. I think total money was up to 29%. Overall, it's all more than it's ever been. Um, I think to every dollar a male CEO raised, a woman raised, 93 cents. So real, like the gap is just like really closing um, from the last couple of years, at least from angel investment, not venture capital, but on the angel side. So if, if you want to believe that angel groups are creating more women investors and more women investors are investing more and we're seeing more women get angel money, then you, it does make sense to extrapolate that, that down the road, right? The next steps, whether whether that's two years or five years or 10 years, I mean, hopefully we want it to be yesterday, but that, that is <laughs> that domino effect is going to roll, right? If we're seeing it on the angel side, then eventually we're going to have to see it on the venture capital side, provided that we have more women sitting around the table. And I think that's what's happened. I think more women are sitting around the table on the angel side, and that's why you're seeing that change. I think intention, yeah, and maybe they're waking up to this like, there's, oh, yeah. there is research out there. Oh, maybe I should look at this. Hmm. I think intentionality is very important. Yes. Because if you want to solve a problem, you have to be very intentional about what the problem is and what the potential solutions are. And so 
what about how how intentional have you been about also what the makeup of the women serving women look like because women in in general and particularly women of color are still being underfunded given the data at a disproportionate rate so what's the importance of having more diverse women as capital allocators in that funding space to sort of make up the gaps for where there are in funding to women um, who are underfunded within an underfunded group, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yes. Yep. Lisa, do you want to take it or you want me to? No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, one, we've had a lot of discussion about this as a board and we purposely tried to make sure that we had, you know, that we weren't a bunch of like white women sitting around the table, right? We don't want to be the next, oh, it's all a bunch of white old men, you know, like that, that, that stereotype, right? We don't, we don't want to be that. We want to be very open and inclusive. And so I think going back to your intentionality, we have to be intentional in terms of who we, you know, recruit, right? Who we have on our board, who is representing, um, you know, Citrine, you know, out in the world. Um, you know, we um, also are intentional about making sure that we build relationships. So, you know, looking at, um, you know, different, you uh, um, venture cap, not venture cap, other angel groups, other um, organizations, you know, looking at HBCU um, and, and having those conversations and letting them know that we're here um, and that we are open. Um, we looked at, you know, making sure that when we're getting companies in pitching, that we're starting to tr track, not just, obviously we're 50% women and we're, 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 we're all women, 100% women, but looking at sort of the breakdown of you know, what is our diversity, you know, what are diversity metrics, you know, what, like adding that sort of intersectionality in terms of, you know, race, background, you know, geography even, right? And so, you know, how do we make sure that we're intentionally looking at that? And part of that is, you know, what gets measured matters, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I like your use of the term intersectionality, because Oftentimes we don't exist in just one plane. We intersect yeah. many different yeah. planes in life. Right, yeah. right, yep. for sure. And you know, it's interesting. So along those lines, there, the going back to the ACA, their stats on Black CEOs was also you know very positive. It's the highest that it's been. I think it was at fifteen percent of total dollar raised were to Black CEOs which according to the ACA is even more than the, you know, the population that's represented at 12%. So, okay, that's great. But let's break that down, that number. So how many of those 15% were female? We don't, you know, it didn't dig into to that kind of level. And that's where you so see the big drop off. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. It's great. That's positive. We're, we're getting there, but still not sort of flowing all the way through perhaps to where we want to go. Um, just to add to Stephanie's point in terms of, you know, set out to be intentional and then track and sort of make the change. She alluded to a partnership that we have with Blue Ventures, which is a veteran angel group in the DC metro area. It's been around for a very long time. Um, some incredible entrepreneurs, uh, most of which are male. Um, and they recognized that they wanted to make change and effectuate change. So they intentionally sort of sought out this partnership with us. Um, and we've crafted a very unique arrangement that I would venture to guess does not exist much out there in terms of partnering with other angel groups. So tell us um, about that, Lisa. 
We certainly can, but we are discussing ways that we can track this partnership and track some key metrics so that we can then go report at the end of the year to others. Hey, guys, this is a really powerful partnership that you may want to be duplicated. Um, So the partnership itself or the sponsorship itself had some sponsorship dollars attached to it, which is really phenomenal and core to helping Citrine get off the ground, stay off the ground, you know, grow and multiply. We're a volunteer run organization. So every sponsorship sponsorship dollar, you know, is counts um, to a big degree. And for that, we are collaborating on deal flow. Of course, we are collaborating on due diligence. We are collaborating on participating. We have some female Citrine Angel members sitting in on Blue's pitch meetings to sort of offer that additional perspective, help them. Maybe gender lens perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Going back to your gender lens. Exactly. Exactly. And vice versa. If there's some expertise um, from the group at Blue that we don't have, you know, within house of Citrine Angels members, we now have that capability of, you know, of drawing from that with the end goal, you know, the whole Holy Grail being let's co-invest in some of these female run or female founded companies. And we're getting very close. We really, we really are. It's, it's been a fantastic partnership so far. And I think they would feel um, very much the same. Yeah. And it's just getting started, right? We were three, four months into it and it's been amazing. I think that's great. And there's a, a good point for us to remember that gender issues doesn't involve just women because women alone can't solve the gender problems that it requires a participation of men. Right. And so finding ways where we mutually benefit to partner to help solve the problem is a good way to go. This leads me into my next question around why it's critical for women to help women as capital allocators. Is there a value added to women investors versus male investors for female founders? And if there's a value add, what is it? I think there's a value add. I definitely think there's a value add. I think it's it's direct and indirect and, and subtle and conspicuous sort of all at the same time. And Obviously, if the it depends upon the length of which the female investor is actually involved in the company itself, right? Maybe it's just writing a check, but maybe it's more. Maybe it's sitting on the advisory board or or helping make introductions. But even at a minimum, I do believe that as a female founder, having a female sort of write you a check and serve as that example and being able to say, well, Citrine Angels, you know, is investing in my company. I think that has real value in and of itself. In addition to that, I do feel that there is, at least I've had the benefit of, and we're always hope to provide it to the entrepreneurs that I touch and in touch with and, and assist in a variety of ways of that sort of camaraderie of really understanding what does it mean to be a female entrepreneur? What does it mean to be a woman um, running your own company, a woman trying to raise outside capital, trying to scale, trying to balance? You may be a mom, you might be a partner or a spouse, all at the same time. Only women are uniquely suited to really understand (laughs) what that means on a regular basis. So I think it has real value. 
I, I would I would echo that too in terms of you know what we look at with, with Citrine is we want to create this safe space right and a safe space for women to come pitch us for women to ask questions as investors and having that that sort of safe space where you don't be, like you're not oh my gosh am I going to ask a stupid question or like I don't am I supposed to know this right and um, we get feedback from our female entrepreneurs our women entrepreneurs who are pitching us that they they love coming in and just seeing you know an entire screen since we're Zoom right now, right? Virtual of women <laughs> that are like, that are accredited investors that are like really interested in learning about their company and want to help them grow, right? And that, you know, goes to, I think not only the, the capital piece of that, but, you know, I think that women and underrepresented founders need the capital, 100%, right? But money is, that's just one piece, right? You need the money connection. Isn't, money isn't the, the whole package. It's yeah, not, you need yeah. to you need to surround them with the support that they need to to grow, right? So you need that connection, you need the consultation, the the care that you can give, you know, an entrepreneur that's really doing something hard. Um, and we want to be there to help them in any way we can. I've heard similar things from entrepreneurs who've received funding from FFI angels. And they say the same thing about the value of working with that women-led angel group, where it, there's just a difference to them in terms of the support that they get. And I think it really matters. You know, yeah. all of these things, representation matters, all of these things. And to also the perspective of coming in as an entrepreneur yourself, if you've been on the entrepreneurial journey, bringing that experience to supporting them, um, you know what the processes are. You've kind of been through that journey yourself. And so in addition to adding the gender lens of just being in business, what what's required, what are the steps to go? Because a lot of people who are starting businesses, um, they don't always know. And a part of being, I think, an angel, when I think about an angel, is someone who comes and blesses you. They're, they, they guide you like your guardian angel. So yeah. not just someone who comes in and cuts you a check, but someone who can yeah. sort of be a guide and a Sherpa to kind of like usher you through this very difficult process. And if they have information to share based on their own experience, who wouldn't want to, to get that? And to feel right. as if you're getting it from a safe space. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, community. community and it and it drives that and you feel that. And you know, not to get cliche or even, you know, sappy, but but it exists and it's tribal in a lot of ways. And I know that when I'm sitting on one of our pitch meetings, and as Stephanie said, you know, a screen full of 30 women and this super smart entrepreneur that's pitching this amazing company, and she like I come off of these calls with more energy at nine o'clock at night than I had at 10 a.m. Right? It just, it just feels differently. Um, and that's powerful. What's the advice that you would give to, cause I know sometimes confidence or, you know, even high achieving women will talk about imposter syndrome and I'm still trying to wrap my my mind around it. Um, I've mentioned Hema Velab to you ladies. And I remember when I was interviewing her for the podcast and she's certainly an accomplished person. And she mentioned that to me, imposter syndrome. I'm like, how you, how explain this to me? Why, 
do women who they've accomplished things, they have the track records, they can check the box like, okay, I've done things, I've done hard things, I've done successful things, and still continue to feel that way. Yeah, it just reminds me because I've, I've, I just read an article from Harvard Business Review, and it, it, the title is Stop Telling Women They Have an Imposter Syndrome, right? It's okay to question yourself and go, hmm, you know, but don't feel like you're an imposter because you are who you are and you're bringing this wealth of experience that is probably unique from anyone else's experience. And so I think we've also have to stop telling us, telling ourselves that narrative that we have this imposter. Like, I mean, I, I, I'll admit, yes, of course I've had imposters that are like, oh my gosh, why am I here? Why are they trusting me to do this? Right? Why me? <laughs> and, and, you know, but I think we have to like, you know, language matters, right? How we talk to ourselves matters. And that self-talk is very important. Yes. Yeah. And so like, I highly recommend everyone just like do a Google search for Harvard Business Review and stop telling women they have a, a, an imposter syndrome. And, and maybe that'll help us change our own narratives um, to not have that imposter syndrome. Um, I right. was uh, speaking yesterday at an event and, um, you know, one of the women asked, um, well, when is it okay to say, I, like a, a, a founder asked, when is it okay to say, I don't know? And I'm like, anytime me, you like, don't know. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, if you don't know, I would much rather you tell me, I don't know yet, or I don't know, but this is what I'm going to do. I mean, you should know your business, right? Know your numbers, know your financials, whatever. But you, you know what you're doing, right? And if you don't know the answer, I want to know that you're going to go get it, right? I, I want to, and I would much rather you be transparent about, yeah, I don't know it, but I'm going to go get it. And that, would, that to me instills so much more trust than someone who comes in arrogant, all knowing, and you know, right. you're not going to stump me, right? Yeah. Do you think that not feeling comfortable saying, I don't know, is that fear of being judged? That yeah. okay, you're not prepared because you're of a woman. Course. Women, yep. so for me, women constantly underestimate and undervalue themselves, their ability, their worth, their all of it, and the the sort of I guess on the the exaggeration of that or the manifestation of that is this sort of imposter syndrome, which is really just self doubt. Right in in different shades of of gray and and different levels of volume throughout different periods in our life, right? I mean, hopefully the older you get, I feel for myself. <laughs> I, of course, have had absolute moments of <laughs> imposter syndrome throughout my life and career. It feels like it's getting less and less as I get older, um, but still moments of self-doubt. And Sammy, I think that's so important to get rid of that word imposter, because it just puts a big giant exclamation point on something that really is just self-doubt. Um, yeah. So for me, going back to your question, Michelle, like when somebody asks you a question and you don't know, for me, I know like I, my heart starts racing quickly and I'm like thinking, well, should I know this? And if I don't know this, are they going to think I'm stupid or is that, <laughs> a bit, you know, so yes, I mean, a hundred percent being asked a question, I think for anybody and not knowing the answer, but in particularly as a woman entrepreneur who's sitting in front of an investor, 
right? Or you're, it's, you're the most vulnerable, you know, in so many different ways. And you feel like the, you know, the cards are stacked against you as it is. And if you don't know the answer to something, it sort of brings up all these immediate moments of self-doubt, imposter syndrome, you know, self-confidence, like all of it. And really at the end of the day, it just means you don't know the answer to one particular question. So it's how do you reframe that and how do you sort of quash that that little shoulder voice of you know self-doubt that's put sitting the, on put your the shoulder? Angel over here. Exactly. Channel channel your angel. Channel your yeah. angel. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But it's, it's all interrelated, right? It's all yeah. the same, right? It's just different names and gradations and and colors and shapes, but it's all the same. And it's just women, I think in it's part of intrinsically who we are, right? Um, and it's part of how we've all been raised, right? And it's all of our jobs to just change the narrative and change the, the change the language. I agree with you. Words matter. Labels matter. And if we weren't calling it imposter syndrome, we were just calling it periodic self-doubt. I think that's a big difference. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. And everyone has a little bit of self-doubt every now and then, right? Yes. Like men must have self-doubt too. How do they handle their self-doubt? They cover it up with bravado? Like, how does that work? Why not have, I mean, you have, you should have some self-doubt, right? Because otherwise it's all ego and like you said, bravado, right? Like, I, I would want you to be questioning, okay, am I doing that? Like, am I doing this right? Like, okay. Yeah, I am. Okay. Done. Right. Like ask yourself the question and move on. So, so that women who are pitching for funding can present themselves in the best light when pitching, what are some tips that you would offer? Whether to ensure that they're engaging um, investors, what are the things that they should know? How should they prepare? I'm sure you've listened to more yeah, pitches, pitches. Than, than you <laughs> care to recall. Yeah, I, so maybe this is a better question. Tell me some of the what not to do and then some of the what to do based on your experiences. Okay. Hmm, there's so many, right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, one, I think, you know, know your, know your why, right? Like, why are you here? Why are you building this company? What drives you? Cause that for me, that's like the first step, right? Is like, who is this person and why are they doing this? What is driving them? What's motivating them? Because I need to believe that that person can, can move this forward and that they're so passionate and so driven and that they have what it takes to, you know, get others to come along with them on that journey. So they should so go me, watch Simon Sinek start with yeah. why TED Talk before yeah, they come. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think having that story and, and being able to communicate that, you know, quickly and succinctly and, and sort of get, get my attention. And then it comes down to sort of, the, you know, all the normal stuff like business, right? Like know your business, so before know we how get you're going to get that part, Stephanie, you said yeah. story and storytelling is an important and powerful tool. And yeah. some people have a better grasp on it than others. And because yeah. I was, I was speaking to a understanding how to tell a story that compels. So if you're coming in front of investors, clearly you need money. Otherwise, why are you here? Right. But that's, that's not the thing. It's how do you get them to be interested 
enough to want to hear more from you? Like what's your hook? What's your lead? How are you, how are you connecting with the person on the money on the other side? So that storytelling piece is, is a really important piece. And then you get into the, then you got to back it up with substance, right? You've got to have the substance. And so if you don't feel strong in the storytelling, or if you're, you're, you're having some self-doubt in that area, then, you know, go back to, but I know my stuff, right? I know I have the substance, I have the depth. And then that, those two things, I think, are, are can be very complimentary, right? You got to have them both. And maybe you're not, maybe storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a trailer to a movie, right? Your pitch or whatever is the trailer and all your whole job for a good trailer is to say, Oh, I want to go see, you know, do I want to see that movie or do I not want to see that movie? So if you think about it, like all I have to do in sort of the pitch is sort of make a great trailer. And if that means I have to sort of stick on an armor of a persona to feel stronger and, you know, more confident, then I can do that. Right. Then when you want to go watch the movie, Right. Then the substance is, is always yeah. there, you know? And I think the story or you connects do your to the Amy why. Cuddy, the Amy Cuddy, like uh, power poses, right? Go yeah. do your power right. poses. You Rums got up. this. You got this. Yeah. My co-founder and I used to go into every pitch. We'd go into the ladies' room before we would go out there and, you know, we'd do arms up, ladies, and, you know, we'd stick our arms yeah. up and get the blood flowing and, you know, get out there and, you know. Get ready as if you're going into the ring. <laughs> yeah, figure out how to get all, go there. And Because if you can't come across as confident and, and, and tell that story correctly and draw people in and at least get a sense of why you and why this and why now you can get into the nitty gritty of why somebody would want to invest. That's a different story, but you should at least be able to practice enough on the, the confidence piece and the storytelling piece and the emotional draw in. Um, anybody can do that. It can absolutely be learned. It may come more natural to some people than others, but it absolutely, you can, anybody can do that. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. And the thing is, I think the storytelling is very much connected to the why, right? And you can, you can start there. Yeah. You know why you're doing this, right? Like you're not going to put yourself through the ups and downs and, in a way, hell, right? Like you, you have to be driven and intrinsically motivated by your why. And, and when you are, I think that comes through naturally, even if you're not the best charismatic storyteller ever, right? Like, so let's say they tell a good story, but you're not investing in a good story. So what makes you say yes? What makes you want to cut a check? <laughs> for me I have like three big kind of tests or pillars that I have kind of in the back of my mind um one is I have to be interested in you know kind of like that shark tank where like yeah this is just not an area I have interested in so for me I have there has to be some sort of personal connection or interest to the to the entrepreneur or the startup or, and, and what they're doing so if it passes that and I'm interested, then for me, I sort of have, um, you know, capital risk, execution 
risk and product risk kind of like in the back of my mind and as sort of boxes that I want to check. And for capital risk is, you know, okay, are they getting funding? How difficult of a time do I think they're going to have a hard time funding? It does it require a ton of capital in order to be successful and get this off the ground. Is there a good chance they're going to run out of money before, you know, they can raise again? And then, of course, execution risk. And that's all, you know, team oriented. And what does it take to really execute on this? How complicated is that? Is this the right team? Is this the right background? Who, who are they going to bring on to help them? Um, and then product risk, which is sort of more about product market fit. And is there a real problem here? Is this the solution for that problem? Are they facing one after the other. Um, and for me, if all those boxes kind of like check, 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 then I will at least be interested in digging in more to due diligence and, and perhaps ultimately writing a check. Now, what are some things that you've seen people do that were like, okay, I'm, I'm out. You know, you'll see on Shark Tank and, you know, a shark will go, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, for me, it's, it's authenticity. Like I have to be able to trust the person and when, when they don't know their numbers or when they, they dismiss sort of a question is like, don't worry about that kind of thing. I think that anything that kind of degrades my trust in them is, is sort of a red flag. Right. And because I do, like, I have to believe that you are the one that is going to take this to the next level and that I can trust you with my money that I worked really hard for and, you know, have alternative places to put it. Um, but, you know, that, that to me is like huge. Um, once I, you know, when I, and that goes back to what I was saying before, right? Like, what's the why, why, you know, who is this person? Who are the, who are the people that they're surrounding themselves with their team of advisors? And do they really know, um, what they're trying to build and they don't have to know exactly what they're trying to build. Right. Like, I mean, like there's going to be pivots along the way, but you mm -hmm. know, I, you know, anything that's um, sort of a really, really um, just small, small market, small solution, you know, um, that I'm usually not interested in. Right. I, like I like big markets that are scalable, like, sort of scalable, being disrupted. Like, so like, I love when there's sort of this, there's intersection of trends that are going on, externally that can kind of point me to oh I like that one that's good that that is a that is going to be a big problem right it is a big problem and they're solving it in a unique way that sets them up to be differentiated and hopefully snatched up pretty quickly and bought <laughs> um and so those are some of the things you know I love how Lisa laid it out like the product risk market risk etc um you know so taking care of all that but then I kind of some of it is for me gut right it's like taking yeah. all of oh, that information sure. taking all of that information and sort of synthesizing it together in its entirety in order for me mm -hmm. to make a decision um you, you know you one of the things that oh i guess one of the other things that that totally turns me off is when you are not prepared right like if you have come to pitch the train angels and we bring you to diligence. We, we tell, you know, we there's a whole, like on the Angel Capital website, there's like, here are the due diligence materials. We have a list that we send out to our founders when we say, hey, we're inviting you to pitch. Here's what we're going to expect. I love founders that have their 
stuff together and can be super responsive. Because when I see that, I know that they're serious and that they're organized and that they're on top of things and that they're responsive and, you know, that it's not like, it just gives me more, maybe that instills more trust and more confidence in their abilities. Um, and so I would say, gosh, just, you know, take the time to get your due diligence materials together because it'll help us, it'll help us move faster and get you the money yeah. faster and get you focused less on raising and more on doing and building. And so that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes can, like I'll love a company and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so in. And then, then they don't have any of the backup. They have this great pitch and like the numbers, but then nothing to back it up. Or they and work against themselves. Right. The <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the substance, right? So you've got your, your storytelling and the substance, the substance has to be there. You but said the something is not organized, right? Not Sometimes organized. an entrepreneur will take weeks to respond to something or not have simple things in order or things like that, which, you know, that's a huge, a huge red flag. You know, if you can't, you know, if you can't put yourself out there like that and look like your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed and you look under the hood and everything is like a, a total mess. I mean, that's a big turnoff. I think some other immediate kind of red flags and no-nos are, you know, when you ask questions around competition and some entrepreneur, well, well, I have no competition, you know, or, or the hockey stick on the financial projections. And you ask a simple question about, you know, well, what were your inputs? And you're, and they're like, oh, well, all I need is 1% of this, you know, billion dollar market without any sort of addressing of how or why or anything kind of like these Mm -hmm. overarching, overly simplified statements that come off as very naive in terms of what it really is going to take for you. Like, do you really know what it's going to take for you to get this company off the ground? And if you give off the impression that you don't, or you think it's going to be too easy, then for me, I'm out. Cause it's not. Yeah. None of it. Yeah. <laughs> even in the best, right. Even the best of all possible yeah. worlds, it's still really hard. Yeah. I think it all comes down to something that Stephanie said. It's the T word. It's the trust word. Trust is very important. I totally hundred percent agree. At the end of the day, it is a total gut, gut feel. Absolutely. Cause you've got to trust that they can execute. Yeah. Because who wants to invest in someone who can't execute? And so you have to, or doesn't know how to bring the right people or doesn't know how to, to to bring, because, you know, you're investing in a person as much as you're investing in their business and their ideas. And so you're totally investing in the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there has to be that alignment. There has to be that trust. Um, Those are, are some, you know, really important factors and for, for people who are pitching for founders to, to understand that those are the, some of the things that matter. So it's not mm-hmm. always just about dollars and cents and numbers, but it's about, are you responsive? Are you trustworthy? How are you indicating that you are someone that the investor can trust? Because at the end of the day, it's an investment. They're hoping to get something um, out of it, that they're getting a return on their investment can you execute? Can they trust that you can execute on the vision that you're presenting to them? Yeah. And then I think that goes to some of like the authenticity, right? Like, and I, and we've had founders that have come in and and probably got some advice from like, I don't know, men or something, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and they just, they came in and they were, they were, I could tell that they were not being authentically themselves. 
and it was such a bummer because I think that it was a good business. There were some issues that I saw, but I'm like, and I, I know she got bad advice. Like, I just know it. And you're like, ah, oh, like, and we, we did give feedback and everything. And, and eventually she did get funded, which is great. Um, but she lost out on Citrine and it was such a bummer. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, I can see something there. But I, I was can going tell to that ask that question, Stephanie. Um, when do you give grace? Is there is there a, is there a process for giving grace? Yeah, we do. We yeah, we we give advice, right? We we want when any founder that comes to pitch the tree, and whether it's in a pre-pitch or in an actual you know member pitch meeting, we always give feedback, right? Like we we you know, and I think that goes back to the question earlier. Like I don't know if you know that's fine. Like we will give grace on that. We 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 don't expect you to have all of the answers because otherwise you would have been like funded 10 years ago I don't know right mm -hmm. like there, there's going to be unknowns and that's okay but you know we always try to provide constructive feedback right to say you know if you're taking the time to apply to citrine if you're taking the time to come pitch us in a pre-pitch right which is you know 20 minutes it's not that much but we know that there's a whole bunch of planning and preparation that goes into coming to a pre-pitch right and even more that comes to an actual pitch and so even if we pass and it might like we get you know we get close right we might, like we might have like oh we're almost at the minimum but we're not quite there right we'll we'll make sure that we give feedback and say look we had interest you know we will we're happy to you know connect the investors directly and that kind of thing and so um we always want to give that feedback because we know it's hard right and we want like i said earlier we want to be a safe space and we want to provide that opportunity for women to come in and you know we've we had um you know a woman that just came back as a second like came back second time to pitch right so the first one is like literally as covid was hitting right and we're like oh man <laughs> there's a whole bunch of externalities going on at that mm -hmm. point and the amount of traction that she has had has been phenomenal right and i think she's gotten the most interest out of almost any of our pitches that have come back and we gave her feedback we kept in touch we you know you connect those dots and you build that relationship that trust over time and you know i'm, I'm she's in diligence right now and i'm, I'm super excited about it yeah. so as we wrap up for founders who are based in the dc maryland virginia area and also for or broader or broader <laughs> or broader yeah and for women who might be considering um, participating um, in an angel investment network, tell them what they should know before we wrap up. Well, one, we'd love to have you, whether you're a founder or a funder, right? We need more funders so we can fund more of those founders. And so, you know, if you're interested in, we, we will always invite a guest. You do have to be an accredited investor and you can go to our website, citrineangels.com to, to see what that means. Um, but if you're an accredited investor, come check it out. Come come to one of our meetings, our pitch meetings and see what it's about. And you, I, I promise you, like as Lisa said, it may be nine o'clock at night, but that was the most energizing meeting. Like every single one of them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just like love it. You That's know, right. you walk away feeling so good. So we have office hours, right, Stephanie? Right. So, yeah. You know, follow us on LinkedIn, check out our website, come to office hours, ask questions. Um, you know, it's a phenomenal group of women. We're we're growing, we're growing exponentially, we're looking to grow. Um, and I think and we're it's just like anything. You're going to get out more than what you put in because it, it really has been fantastic. And 
we, we welcome you. We, we hope you'll join us. Thank you, ladies, for dropping by the Thank Fund and Podcast. It's been great. And thank, thank you for having us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having us. You are so welcome. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode. So remember, if you're thinking about becoming an angel, think about all the women founders who you could bless with the generosity of your dollars. So if anyone would like to come on the show or pitch an idea for the show, reach out to me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com, where to find us. We're an anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast. Help us grow. Please subscribe, stream, download, rate, review, all of those things. And follow the podcast on Instagram. Thank you all so much. And join us for the next episode. <laughs>